We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Island on June 13, 1980. It was written by Peter Benchley, based on his own novel, directed by Michael Ritchie, and released by Universal Pictures. To date, Michael Caine refuses to discuss this film. What? Why? <laughs> Not happy with it. Really? He yeah. describes it as a paycheck grab. He has a, <sighs> about a decade of films that were paycheck films for him. Jaws 4 is among them. So his Peter Benchley works are not on, in his favorite. I, don't, I, I haven't seen Jaws 4, but I don't necessarily disagree with that choice. But I think this is a solid movie. Anthony Hopkins was considered for the lead, and I can see that working just as well. Yes. I like Michael Caine here, though. Uh, evidently, union rules prohibited DP uh, Henry Decay or... Henri Desay or Henri Decay or however you pronounce this name uh, from working in Hollywood and he was replaced after 17 weeks of shooting by Gene Polito who went uncredited for the last several weeks work. U.S. Coast Guard cutter New Hope was portrayed by actual Coast Guard vessel The Dauntless which also makes an appearance in License to Kill. Conflicting information on Benchley's pay here Wikipedia says he got 1.25 million for the film uh, that was for rights and the first draft. IMDb says $2.16 million for just the movie rights, but LA Times at the time reported that Zanuck and Brown paid $2.15 million plus 10% of first dollar gross plus 5% of soundtrack profits and approval of the director. That's insane. That's a lot. That's a crazy deal for him to have, but this was after jaws and the deep had both performed fairly well and so he was he was a known entity uh this was the third and final adaptation of a benchley story to film uh shooting locations for the film included antigua the west indies the bahamas miami and fort lauderdale the film garnered two razzie nominations acting for kane and directing for ritchie undeserved completely neither of those make any sense complete mistakes on the part of the razzies but Go check out the Razzies website, by the way. Go, go look at that website. <laughs> you really was, are angry about I was venting to these two about it. I just looked it up because I was like, oh, I'm just going to look historically at like what is one of the Razzies. You'll get farther on Wikipedia than you will on the Razzies website. The this Razzies website is garbage. It's the worst made website I've ever seen. Coming after you guys. We'll give them the Razzie for worst website? Yes. Cool. The Razzie for worst website. Perfect. We open with a wide shot of the ocean. By the way. Before we get too deep into this, this is one of those movies where there's twists and turns, and I'm going to go ahead and recommend that you see this movie before you listen to our review of it. Yeah, that's is that fair. Good. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Because I think this is, I'm spoiling my votes towards the end here. This is a gem of a movie. This yep. is an important one to see for yourself before we go through all of it. So uh, we spoil everything on this show, but occasionally we warn new listeners that we're going to spoil the film. This is a case of that. If you just found this, you're listening to this first, go watch the movie first and then come back and listen to this. We open with a wide shot of the ocean. We see an island in the distance. The movie's called The Island, so that makes sense. We see the lady, a fishing boat, floating into frame. 
and a tourist is reeling in a kingfish despite his friends claiming it's a marlin no it's a kingfish well and also saying that that they're doing the reeling like yeah like it's, it's he's just sitting in a chair and just pushes a button to reel it in yeah yeah and they're all like congratulations and they're like applauding him yeah um I, i'm imagining that these are the characters of doctor one two and three that are credited oh that makes sense because they're like, just rich people that pay to yeah a pay. robot catches their fish for them <laughs> yeah um it comes on board with a big bite taken out of the side though and uh they pass this derelict cruise ship is that, it, is that a jaws reference like or just a shark reference in general oh, what oh that makes more sense because i thought it was weird uh before we got to any of the twists and turns i was like okay all right so something's so down in the water some something's gonna come back yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, di- I didn't even think anything else of that at all i thought it was literally just like uh eh, screw these guys they don't deserve a nice fish the lady passes a derelict cruise ship that apparently broke its back uh the their tour guide tells them mm-hmm. um this ship is awesome yeah it is yeah. pretty cool looking and uh it, it the point i think of this ship is to uh cement things geographically to this location so that when we see this ship in the future we know exactly where in the ocean they are because otherwise they're in the middle of the water and you have no idea what's going on and also later we'll get an explanation as to the possible actual fate of yes. this ship that is only being speculated on at this point they but, must have actually found a Oh, for sure. A, 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 yeah. a, like a, I don't want to. I don't want to say it's uh, a ghost ship. No, <gasps> a derelict. I, uh, what's it called when a ship runs ashore? Like a uh, shipwreck. A whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's obviously it's on some sort of yeah. Reef, it's run aground. Reef or run aground. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of those in this area with thousands yeah. of islands to contest with. Uh, but their their tour guide blames Faith for the ship being stuck there because he thinks, oh, the captain was probably in stormy waters and thought he could handle it, and and he couldn't. The the tourists joke about his ruined trophy, this fish with a bite taken out of it. One of them notices a canoe floating up alongside the boat. Apparently, this canoe smells awful, and they're convinced because they can see a hand sticking out that this is a cadaver in a boat. And he's and, like, is uh, it a dead cadaver? All cadavers are dead, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of banter that goes on with these it's guys. It's great. It's such great banter. This script is really good. I was like, I was like, Peter Benchley, you you, you hit it out of the park for this. This yeah. whole this whole movie is dense with dialogue. Yes, it is. It is difficult to follow at points because there's just so much talking going on. But listening to these guys riff on each other in the background, like back and forth, like they're joking about like what kinds of drinks they like mm-hmm. and what what kind of drink is made in what location and talking like, over each other. They're frequently. constantly, yeah, talking over when each other. When did you start drinking gin? Five years ago. <laughs> but yeah, so they, they get this canoe closer to the boat and then suddenly this corpse stands up and buries an axe in the face of one of these three men. And they do a real quick swap from the guy to the prosthetic here. Yeah. But it's it's insane looking. The axe it's just awesome. goes right in the middle of his face, blood spurting everywhere. The second shot start. here is oh. so much crazier because it's like he swings the axe at the gut and only catches him because he has a gut. If, if, if this guy had been, you know, a little bit more diligent with his diet and working out, he would have been fine. This would have missed him. But it catches his gut and just tears it open and spills his innards all over the deck of the boat and it's a really beautiful looking yeah makeup job for this like it looks like he cut the guy yeah oh god it's so gross (laughs) um we cut immediately away from this 
chaos going on to, to gotham city to gotham city where, <laughs> where yeah the, it was she on the pointed truck. that out I, I saw that yeah there's a truck that goes by that says gotham on the side of it which Sweet. i mean maybe that is that the, they're literally supposed to be in gotham here because they're only in whatever the city is for this one scene i just assume that we're cutting away to seeing the alfred before he yeah. got his job as the butler some men just like to see the world burn my cocaine pitches a story to his bosses about 600 missing boats in three years near the Bermuda Triangle. 600 missing boats. And they're just like, eh, it happens. <laughs> Nobody cares about it. And what, so, oh, sorry to linger on this for a second. What, so he's a journalist of some kind for yes. some kind of magazine, but he's looking at photos of of women who are, who are wearing yes. shirts that are very transparent. It's like, but the sun is reading later on is reading a, a playboy is he is he a writer for playboy maybe he might be okay and they're doing a story about missing boats for some reason but Are yeah. they implying that the lore of the bermuda triangle is I attributed so. to what we're about to see in this movie yes okay the boss agrees to let the story run so he can continue spot checking nipples and photo prints back in his office michael kane finds his son uh, michael kane's name in this movie is maynard by the way i should start calling him blair maynard and uh he finds his son justin mom left him there and uh he expects his father to bore him with museums this weekend michael kane offers an alternative taking him to disney world which he calls call him maynard maynard (laughs) maynard offers to take him to the museum of what does he say like the museum of mice and ducks yeah something like that and i think uh, he did ducks and mice which i thought was weird that you put the duck before the mice you got to make it sound weird. why you got to let the kid decode it we're talking evolutionary like uh, no going, the... referring to disney i would put i would elevate mice to the top well, maybe it was going alphabetically what about the orlando museum of famous ducks and mice the kid picks up pretty quickly that this is a job and that disney was an afterthought and he makes maynard stop at a gun shop and i don't know why maynard agrees to this but he pulls over and they go to a gun shop he he's actually really accommodating to his son on a lot of things and 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 while the son gives him some crap they seem to have a really good relationship yeah that's true you, i sense you disagree jesse no i'm <laughs> trying not to mention something yet okay i don't know i don't know if i should save it for later or not I should know. i delve into this right now jess no I, we can we can save, it for, we can save it for later i'm making a slight face that that richard's picking up on because i think that the dad seems to be making up for a lot of things all the time the kid points out a lot of ways the dad has failed him throughout the movie that's true but he doesn't fail him as much in this movie well i guess he does because he told him he's going to take him to disney world and that doesn't happen yeah which is exactly what the kid calls out frequently in the movie yeah. is hey dad you keep telling me that we're gonna this do this gonna thing happen. and it's like this bait and switch that you keep pulling on me but he what would you like rather do he's always trying to make up for you know being a crappy dad I would love for this to be the first in a series of films where he takes his kid to go report on a thing and they both like go through some insane batshit crazy adventure. <laughs> but uh, that's what happened to, to uh, Teddy Roosevelt and his son. Right. Exactly. Is that true? Yeah. They got lost in the like the Amazon rainforest. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> it's nice. Made their way out. But the kid makes him stop at this gun shop. The kid seems to be an expert in guns. Uh, mostly through film, I think, because he seems to know what gun each character uses, like Dirty Harry and other TV show characters. I find this extra disturbing in the 80s because there is no 
internet and there is no like on demand so he has to like look through a catalog and compare how are you getting all this information this is disturbing the shop owner senses that this kid is really interested in getting a gun today the kid mentions that the colt frontier 44 is his favorite weapon and the store owner corrects him it's not a weapon it's a firearm but they head into the shooting range in the back room because they're allowed to test that gun here and uh the regulars seem to be firing pretty wildly there's one person who just seems like they barely have a grip on their gun and they're bang 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 like just going crazy with it yeah and uh the kid does a decent job and the shop owner walks down to the target and points out his bullseye while the kid is still pointing the gun downrange. the dad takes a shot maynard takes a shot and nails it again and the store owner's like oh you're pretty good and he says yeah i was in korea uh which michael kane actually was in korea The kid bullies his dad into buying him a t-shirt. As they're driving away, we see him holding a t-shirt for the gun shop. And uh, then he puts the shirt down. And then he pulls up the gun that his dad also (laughs) bought him. Um, At first, you're supposed to think, I think, that the shirt is a consolation prize. (laughs) He's like, oh, no, I got them both. He talked me into getting both. This is evidence right here that he's trying to make up for something. You know, just buy your kid a gun for the hell of it. You're trying to make up for being a crappy dad. Yeah. They agree to keep the gun a secret from mom, though. I don't know how they're going to do that, unless I guess the gun just lives with Maynard. We see two more sailboats scooting past the cruise wreckage. A father is keeping watch for the night, and uh, he's reading a book on the deck while his friends are ferrying back to the second boat. I guess they just, like, finished having dinner or something. And this other family's going back to their boat to sleep, and he's going to keep an eye out for pirates. It seems like he's actually, like, prepared for pirates. He's got a shotgun? Yeah. Um, so he's sitting up on the deck keeping watch and it sounded like he told him to set an alarm because he wants to like switch off who's on watch his daughter is sleeping in the bow below deck and there's this cool moment here where the lamp behind him slides across the deck as the boat is tilting one way and i think the indication is supposed to be that someone is boarding the ship on that side or hanging on it at least yeah and that's what's causing it to tilt enough for this lamp to move. But it's it also works as just a shock moment of this lamp suddenly appearing behind him and freaking you out. And then suddenly, there's a dude with a flaming headdress that just runs up and stabs him. <laughs> then him and I think other yeah, there's a- multiple. additional pirates move below deck where the mom is immediately garroted. They like slice her neck completely open before she even wakes up. And uh, the daughter is in, like, a separate compartment, though. So her door is closed, and she's just confused and calling out to her parents. And then we cut back away from this. Maynard and Justin show up on the docks where the lady is supposed to be, but it's not here because that thing got axed to pieces. Right. And we're hearing uh, a pre-recorded interview that Michael Caine, uh, Maynard, had given uh, or was, was conducting. Right. And they were talking about how that for insurance purposes they never say a ship gets hijacked they just say it just went down uh because it's easier to do that than to say because if the insurance won't cover it if it gets hijacked yeah and it and because of all these missing ships unless there's a federal crime involved you can't go to the government right it's just local coast guard and police so as as they walk past the the port where the lady should be docked other boat owners are offering their services like a hundred dollars for a fishing trip and then Maynard says, if I'm going to pay 100 for a fish, it's going to come with a tablecloth and a bottle of wine. And then one of the guys pulls out a tablecloth and lays it across. And he's like, hey, I'll do the same thing for $75 and throw in a bottle piece. of white wine. How's that? And he just laughs at them like, okay, you called my bluff. I'm not going to do that. We're hearing uh, these recordings. And it seems like the, the interviews are, are different people using different explanations 
to explain why all these ships are missing because we have the insurance one and then there's also people saying that um it's the fault of drug runners that these Mm. ships are getting shot down and the drugs are being stolen but uh maynard wants to go where these boats are disappearing he decides he's going to charter a plane to get there as they're walking across the the tarmac to the plane he says what do you think of the plane and and justin's like son of a bitch has propellers Um, but this pilot is insane. I love it. He's like my, he's like one of my favorite characters from this movie. And there's no wasted characters in this movie. Yeah. Every single person is a fun, interesting character. Like even those guys that were, that were trying to sell their boats, like mm-hmm. they had jokes and they had props set up and like they had a whole backstory and everything. And, uh, this guy has this big scar on his head. That's never really explained. Yeah. Yeah. And although uh, you can imagine it's probably from another crash yeah. or possibly from when the pig beat bit him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the pilot invites them aboard and he tells them to pay no mind to this enormous pig in the back of the plane because it will be tranked for the flight because you don't want a pig to lose its shit in the middle of the air. (laughs) Um, he puts a hat on the kid and tells him to pose as the legally mandated (laughs) co-pilot. Um, and, uh, he has this big scar over his right eye and he asks Maynard to help him navigate because sometimes the clouds can cause them to confuse the islands there's so many out here Uh, (laughs) these are all bad signs Uh, as they make their final approach someone tries to wave them off the runway and so he has to loop around and make a second pass and uh, the guy's still there so he just ignores him and goes to to put her down when justin points out what does this red light mean and he's like oh that means the wheels are up so (laughs) we're about to crash because i didn't put the wheels down and uh they crash and skid across the runway and it's a violent landing yeah like the kid's head is getting slammed against the metal back of his chair and uh maynard is just trying to hold himself in this door frame but but stark the pilot is going yeah yeah he's having fun (laughs) the whole time he's like uh what's his name from ducktales it's like launch pad just like all right we did it but uh when the plane comes to a complete stop the pilot just jumps out of the window of the cockpit <laughs> yeah he leaves and he them. just leaves both of them in the plane and uh maynard is rushing justin out of the plane he throws him to the the runway and then he jumps out and as they're running away the plane completely explodes on the runway <laughs> killing this pig that was on board <laughs> at um, least it was asleep i hope yeah but and then but then Starks looks at the wreckage and just kind of shrugs. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, Maynard is lecturing him for leaving them behind. And uh, then Justin points out, like, Dad, your gun. Like, we have to hide the gun. The customs agent is coming. And there's this uh, customs agent from the island that's, like, racing up on a bike. And so he moves over to Justin and he gives Justin a jacket and then puts the gun in his pants to hide it. So he's like, if anybody's going to get arrested here, it's going to be you, son. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Well, no one's gonna no one's gonna frisk the kid's crotch. That's true. Well, maybe they will. These are pretty close to the Epstein Islands. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the pilot overhears that uh, they have a gun, and he says that he won't tell anyone in a very threatening manner. The customs agent eventually lets Maynard and Justin go, but he arrests the pilot as collateral because he doesn't believe that the insurance is going to clean up the runway. Um, and he says, "I get my money soon, I betcha." And then. Uh, as they're walking away from this hut where the pilot is chained up, uh, Maynard says to Justin, Don't forget to tell your mother you went to Disney World. But they handcuff the pilot to a pole. Outside, the pilot is yelling about the gun, and uh, the customs agent thinks he's just being goofy. And he says, there's a hotel right down the road. It's called the Chain Plates Inn. And then he charges them $20 for the landing fee. <laughs> Even though they didn't technically land, they crashed. Um, it's a fine line. Yeah um maynard and justin sleep for the night 
and in the morning they walk to the nearby home of Dr. Windsor, who answers their knocking on the door with, Be gone, you Ethiopian! Because he doesn't, he doesn't like visitors. And he says, the hotel said you rent boats. And uh, Justin is out by the water, uh, just exploring the tide pools, and he finds a musket ball, and then he stabs his finger on an urchin. And in the insert, it really looks like they're pulling a piece of an urchin out of a finger, or at yeah. least some kind of a prop, but it was stabbed into a finger. Well, and the way the sea urchin moves and reacts to the hand looks real, too. Yeah. It's crazy. but And it's definitely a kid's hand that they're pulling the thing out of, too. So it's like, they might have just stuck something in this kid's finger for the movie. The kid goes to join his father inside trying to rent this boat. And the doctor, who I guess had initially refused to loan the boat, uh, when he sees the kid, he's like, oh, I don't want to deprive you of a fishing trip. So, uh, sure, you can rent a boat, whatever. And he asks what he wants to catch. And the kid says barracuda. And Maynard kind of smiles because he's like, yeah, it's just because you've heard of barracuda being dangerous and... That sounds the most exciting to you. Uh, but the real reason that he asked what they wanted to catch was so that he could tell them exactly where to be and he would know where their boat was. Mm -hmm. so also, they, the kid makes a reference to that your place looks a lot like Lex Luthor's place. Yeah. Um, so they head out and uh, they catch a barracuda right where the doctor suggested. And uh, Maynard is like whacking it as he's getting ready to bring it into the boat and then he jokingly holds it like inches from his son's face mm -hmm. when i'm not sure it's dead yet and it could very easily have just slapped shut and bit this kid in the face and the kid's like let's catch another one and he says oh no we should go back and he said but this one might spoil before we get back and it's like are you arguing to leave or stay yeah <laughs> because if it's gonna spoil really quickly we should be leaving right now but he wants his kid to keep having fun so he indulges and he says fine we'll catch another one um, they notice what looks like a small craft and someone overboard and when they get closer they can see it's the girl that was sleeping in uh, in the quarters below deck while her parents were stabbed and garroted uh, with a with a blank smile on her face that's yeah. the best way I can describe it yeah she looks like uh, she just got driven through an atomic cloud Justin offers his hand to pull the girl into the boat but she instead intentionally yanks him out into the water and tries to drown him Maynard's not doing enough to prevent his son's murder here, for my taste. Yeah, I agree um, with that. He just kind of turns around in the boat, and he grabs a bunch of rope, and he's like, here, son, grab, <laughs> Gra grab, grab the rope. rope. Grab the rope. Get back in the boat. Stop wrestling with that girl. Um, Stop and, goofing around out there, you two. <laughs> yeah, and then they kind of like, they get further and further away from him, and I was like, when is he going to jump in the water and get this girl off of his kid before she drowns him? Then he goes to the controls of the boat when suddenly someone is climbing up over the side of it toward him. He runs back to their bags at the back of the boat and he gets Justin's gun and he shoots this guy a few times. The pirate dies as it's approaching Maynard, but as he's falling forward, he he bumps into him and then Maynard hits his head on the boat hard enough to knock himself out. So he's unconscious on the boat with this dead pirate and the girl is drowning his son. Uh, he regains consciousness tied to a post at night with his son in the middle of this insane kangaroo court. The Lost Men, which is the adult Lost Boys, hold a bizarre impression of a trial. Yeah. And they're saying all these kinds of weird things. Who's the party for the first part? That party going to a party. <laughs> guilty, not guilty. Did you did or did you didn't? Yeah. <laughs> did you did or did you don't? I, 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 I don't. Don't say self-defense. I defense. You did it eat? Or you did it eat? Not, not, not. Not, not. How can I defense a lie? They ask his name, and when he answers Blair Maynard, 
they accuse him of having killed Blackbeard because Blackbeard was killed by A. Maynard. Yeah, but they call him Great Teach Blackbeard. Like, not that his name was Edward Teach, yeah. but they call him The Teach, like as if, he, as if he was a teacher. Yeah. The the pirates cut them down because they're, they're noblemen. And uh, he says, where are they taking my son? And he says, no son, no more. Um, a woman walks in completely covered head to toe in mud and spits in Maynard's face. I imagine it's some kind of mourning ritual. Yeah. This man, he killed a woman's man. This woman wants to kill him for shooting her husband. They can't charge him with a death penalty because he's noble, but she's allowed to kill him because he killed her husband specifically. So only she can act out the sentence, but they tell her, wouldn't it be better to use him as a sex slave and have Mm -hmm. a noble baby? And so they cut him down and he collapses. You make good fig fig? (laughs) Yeah. The the snoo snoo of the Futurama exactly. <laughs> Mud Girl mixes Maynard a green paste and spreads it on his head wound. We see Justin tied to a post with a rope around his neck, holding him up, and matchsticks holding his eyelids open. He wants desperately to sleep, but a pirate is feeding him. The, this this treatment that they're giving the kid this is like a like a brainwashing Ludovico yeah. treatment kind of thing. <laughs> Ludovico treatment, yeah. Yeah. He wakes the kid up the next morning with a bucket of water. And says, say after me, no mother, no father. We cut to Maynard. And uh, in addition to this green paste they rubbed on his head, they're putting leeches on his chest. This weird judge character who had like really tiny cornrows just gently ushering these leeches along like, oh, go on, you got it. Dr. Brazil. Yeah, he's totally insane. (laughs) They all are really. And uh, David Warner is here. He is playing... I forget the it, John David N- now now like NAU yeah. yeah John David now who presumably would would have been a descendant of an actual pirate named Jean David now who was in these islands in the 1600s but I'm just going to call him David Warner so that I don't screw that up and he intends to brainwash this kid into killing his father we learn the whole plan here a thunderstorm wakes Maynard in the night and the woman who he is betrothed to immediately mounts him. The next day, David Warner brings uh, the woman a neck shackle to keep him as a pet, basically, and to walk him around on a leash. Maynard looks at the packaging for the combination lock a few times, and she says, You kill my man. Make a good baby. He make bad baby. Die a borny. Which I'm assuming borny means newborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get a lot of interesting words here uh the the kid justin and another member of the tribe are practicing shooting this other member of the tribe is a kid from the boat with uh the doctors on yeah it. um and his name is manuel but the two of them are practicing shooting and justin hits a few targets perfectly and as a reward he's given le terrible which is a french gun and he is asked to shoot this spiky gourd out of his father's hands and and michael kane's character just completely trusts his son yeah like he, he's not like saying anything he's just like all right i i believe that my son can make this shot i feel like some of these choices might have been the inspiration for him being nominated for a razzie because he he's almost not acting mm-hmm. because he knows there's no danger in what's going to happen well, but, he 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 thinks he knows there's no danger. That's the key here. Yeah. Because he thinks that his son is just playing along. 
But even later, there's stuff that gets really crazy, and he seemed to not be reacting to it the way that a person should be reacting to it. But uh, Justin levels the gun, and he is able to successfully shoot the gourd out of uh, out of his father's hands. But as the guy's like setting him up for the shot, he says, "You know how to stand still? Now is good time." <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he shoots the gourd; it explodes and throws this weird like pulpy flesh all over Maynard and uh Justin walks up to him and he says okay like here's what we got to do son and he says look if I wanted to hit you I could have and he's like what like he's very confused and uh his dad calls them pirates but Justin corrects they are buccaneers and then suddenly he says you make me sick and this is where Maynard loses it Mm -hmm. because he's like you're not playing along you actually are friends with these people what is going on because this kid already believes some of the history that the pirates have told him. Yeah, he refers to himself as Tubarb. Yeah, that's his new name. And I don't know if Barb is a reference to the urchin stab. But uh, he slaps his father here. You can see that Maynard is just like furious and he doesn't know what to do. But he starts walking through the camp with the woman in charge of him. And she sees a crab uh, like scuttling into some muddy water. And she runs to collect it. And while she's doing that, Maynard is spying on this loot pile nearby, and he steals this small rubber, like, inflatable thing. Because he saw that she never set a combination on the lock, he knows from the packaging that the combination is still 0000 for him to escape. So in the middle of the night, he undoes the lock, takes off the the neck uh, shackle, and he sort of tiptoes through the camp. And Maynard overhears the lessons that they're giving his son, and it seems that these are descendants of shipwrecked or Shanghai pirates from 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they make it entirely clear why they stayed on this island. Well, and they've probably been either breeding with each other or kidnapping people to breed with and then yes. killing those people so that just the babies are brought up in this society. Yeah. Um, it is weird, though, that they've been here for 300 years and haven't built, like, a single house. Like, they know what houses are and they know what boats are. Mm-hmm. Like... Why Why haven't they built any structures? They're just living in, like, a naked mangrove. There's there's nothing here. There's just, like, blankets draped over stuff. But it rains on them. Uh, I, I would maybe argue that uh, these islands have probably been wiped clear from hurricanes now oh, and maybe. then. And they just don't have the materials or resources to build anything permanent. I would also say that in the same way that there's a deterioration of the language that they're using, that there might oh, be true. in general a deterioration of all knowledge that these guys have over the generations that they've been living there. And their IQ in general, possibly, as inbreeding is causing problems. But yeah, so Maynard tries to swim out to sea and he inflates the little flotation device he stole. But unfortunately, he swims blindly into a pack of man of war jellyfish Ugh. and is just getting stung to shit out Th- here. That is one of my biggest fears. Like, it's bad enough that he's getting stung, but it looks like he's going to drown in this because he's so tied up in it. Yeah, like, he, he, the more he kicks away, he just gets himself more tangled up in them. And that I'm so horrified of jellyfish, but also even more horrified of men of war. I, I can't even picture you going into the ocean. Richard. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> go. Specifically because of that. Because of these things. <laughs> Um, I would rather deal with a literal man of war. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been I've been diving before, and you come across these little jellies that will 
sting sting your skin as you're diving and they'll be in these clouds then you can't really avoid them and so you feel all these stings on you i can't even imagine what it's like to have to have a full-size giant ones just Mm -hmm. draping their tentacles across you but he manages to get back to shore and he's crawling desperately up the beach when he's discovered by his woman and uh, a few other tribes people stumble up behind her and they punish her for letting him escape. Yeah, because it puts their whole thing by at by risk. dragging one of the men of war across her, and, and presu- her genitals. Yeah, yeah, presumably the yeah. I, oh, I think it's pretty is that clear what they were doing. Oh uh, yeah. yes, they pull her whole skirt up and they're dragging it between her legs. Oh, I thought they were aiming for her stomach. I guess maybe. I mean, they only show it draping across her her breasts and her chest, but there's a lot of it hanging out of frame. That I think the implication was supposed to be that they're they're rubbing it everywhere. And uh, then at the end of the scene, when they drop her, you can see that she's completely naked from the waist down. But she collapses into the water and takes as long to recover as he is taking. But apparently she doesn't blame him for this escape attempt. No. There's a lot of scenes where they're like kind of bonding, yeah. like they're, they're, where they're collecting what looks like to be rocks in a bucket. Um, and it starts to rain, so they shelter together. I think they're snails. Are they snails? Okay. I couldn't tell what they were. I, like, I love the taste of these rocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you picked this campsite, right? Because of the rocks? A delicious looking limestone rock. Mm, 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 mm. Nice bouquet. Must be a real vintage year. But, and I feel like this was like another kind of like bonding time with them like remember the together? time we both got uh, angry ocean spaghetti on our na- <laughs> naughty bits <laughs> spicy spaghetti <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the next day she gives maynard a shovel and tells him to dig a tree out of the dirt and uh then she leaves him unattended and says don't you escape now <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly dr windsor shoots by on a speedboat and maynard makes a run for it uh he pleads with windsor to turn the boat around and Windsor looks over Maynard's shoulder and says, I thought you were going to kill him. And we see David Warner over his shoulder saying, she let him go again. And uh, the woman leads Maynard into Windsor's hut. And he says, sit down, Fido. Because he's playing into the joke of like, oh, yeah, you're a pet here. That's so cute. Mm-hmm. This guy, Dr. Windsor, to me, sounds exactly like Alan Rickman. His voice sounds exactly like Alan Rickman to me. I, I thought you were going to say he, he sounds like Dr. Moreau um, in the sense that like he's created this. He's almost not created this society, <laughs> yeah. but he he is like managing it, managing it and taking a step back and just like kind of watching it evolve. So it, uh, his, he is a doctor. I'm assuming he is an anthropologist. Um, I'm not sure. Because it's not really ever said what he's yeah. a doctor of. He does talk about being fascinated with this living history that they mm-hmm. have here yeah. on this island. So I would presume that he is an anthropologist. Because he says part. it's an anthropologist's dream. Yeah. And that there's thousands of islands and there's no planes that fly over this island. And he's already reported the Maynard's lost at sea. So no one's ever going to come find you. And this is great. And you're going to you're gonna help them, you know, purify their DNA or rather unpurify their dna mm-hmm. and uh and allow them to continue and you're, you're seeing history right here um because he says this tribe doesn't have any viable fetuses and if it did live it would be an idiot and then maynard says i could see that <laughs> 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 i just love that bit um the pirates take both of the maynards on a raid 
and here they are attacking a a beautiful schooner. Yeah, like yeah, Windsor informs them uh, of its approach. Yeah, and I was like, what? What is this ship? And who are these people who are operating it? Yeah, well, but we find it, out. Yeah, yeah, but it's this beautiful. It's all wood with these huge red sails, like blood red sails. And it's really a beautiful ship. Really, really inconspicuous for their line of work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we have this pleasant adventuring music as uh, <laughs> as they approach, <laughs> and uh, so the pirates uh, they basically they they're firing cannons on the ship as they approach. The schooner's like trying to wave them aside because it's like we don't want to crash into you, but uh, the pirates just storm the ship and slaughter most of the crew. Uh, one member of the crew shows off some martial arts prowess he like (laughs) tries to stop them and he's he's doing like full-on like bruce lee vocalizing and like swinging his arms around it's super awkward yeah it goes on for too long he's also in i loved it really tiny i wouldn't cut a frame out of this and and when he dies i was like thank god no i was very disappointed i wanted him to be the hero of this film but so he he has decided that he's going to take on these pirates one at a time. And the pirates are also very sporting. They're like, no, no, no. Like, back off one at a time. Like, you can't – don't shoot him. Yeah. I want to see how many of us he can get through. And he manages to, like, completely destroy a couple of these pirates. But eventually one with a sword steps up. And he seems to be one of their higher-ups because he's chosen specifically by David Warner. And uh, he is able to block the swordsman still for – about 30 of his 31 swings. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last one, unfortunately, lands right in his chest. You only have to miss one of those for yeah. it to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he he, uh, he gets stabbed in the chest and bleeds out on the deck. They find a drunk guy below deck who is very impressed with their get-ups. And he's like, oh, far out, man. And then they find uh, a, the woman below deck who was on the deck when they attacked. But she ran downstairs. And they uh, they start to bring her up to the deck, and he says, "Oh, she got pretty stuff. We should keep her," uh, because they're all just drooling over this woman. Um, back below decks, they're finding these heaping bags of cocaine, and uh, Maynard is trying to explain to his owner what this is, and he says, "It's a drug called cocaine." <laughs> what does it cure? insecurity and i thought for sure where this was going to go was he was going to convince him that it was good medicine yes to that's exactly what she that's, suggested that's what i thought was going to happen too she's like oh she he should just get all these people hooked on cocaine and then they'll just kill each other but uh the victims bodies are all being thrown overboard except for obviously the survivors are all lined up and they raid the rest of the ship on the deck the remaining crew are read their official charges by the same kangaroo court system as before but none of these people are nobles so one at a time they're shot in the head um this girl the girl tries to escape right yeah and she gets shot like as she's jumping overboard but she dies i'll say you for this prisoner guilty for this prisoner guilty is this prisoner guilty all guilty someone notices that there's a guy hiding like at the top of the what is this the uh, mast the center mast and uh he's like basically pulled all the sails in a bundle around himself to like hide himself but they notice he's up there and one of the guys says oh he's climbing to heaven i'll help him on his way and he lifts his gun to shoot but david warner's like no 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 let's let the kid do this and so justin takes his gun and he brings it up and maynard's on the deck of the ship now watching this all go down and justin puts one right through the guy's forehead Mm -hmm. so justin just put a bullet through the brain of an innocent person on the deck of this ship now at this point 
I wasn't convinced uh, until this point. I wasn't convinced that Justin was entirely brainwashed. I thought maybe he was committing to this role until he could find a chance to get with his father and get away. You were like people that had only seen force awakens and were like, come on, he just killed his dad as a goof, right? Like, yeah, he's going to be a good guy. (laughs) Um, but when he did this, I was like, Ooh, if he's still just pretending, this is super uncomfortable Yeah, (laughs) for the future of their relationship as father and son. So if he had just been, faking it you think he would have he would have missed on purpose yeah but he even if he were faking it he couldn't miss on purpose because he's already demonstrated that he is a dead shot Mm -hmm. so even on a boat that's rocking back and forth yeah um so this is the point at which you started pointing out some similarities yeah i'll go ahead and bring it up here hook is a shot for shot remake (laughs) of this movie later i was gonna say they full-on captain hook neverland this kid this is 100 percent the movie hook yeah the, like beat for beat the whole way through the story this is the movie hook there's toodles there's no way that, that <laughs> there's a lot of the crazy pirates but there's no way spielberg didn't see benchley's third film right i mean I he mean, didn't write hook it was, Nick Castle actually wrote Hook. <laughs> I guess hey, Peter Benchley's Hook. <laughs> Nick Castle. It was, was a very different right. movie. It had nothing to do with Peter Pan. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I, it, especially this scene. I was like, this is so much exactly what happens in the movie Hook that mm. it's blowing my mind that Hook was adapted from this insane movie. <laughs> like it, it just was. Like there's no argument that it wasn't because so too much of it is exactly from this movie. It's yeah. like this angry present day dad who doesn't have enough time for his kid is a jerk to him and they go on a vacation and then the kid gets kidnapped and the dad's trying to get him back and the pirates kidnap both of them and then the kid becomes friends with the pirates and the pirates make the kid do bad things and the dad's trying to convince him to be good. It's just totally Hook. It, I I can't get over the fact that this that Hook was based on something. That it was this. <laughs> Um, but it's insane. Uh, to clarify, this is Patrick's opinion. <laughs> this is this is <laughs> fact. not supported uh, by any research. But you guys both agree with me. We took a vote earlier, and they both agree. Um, they didn't. But it's true. It's a shot for shot remake. Um, might as well have been Gus Van Sant directing. Uh, Justin tells his father that his name is now Tubarb, and uh, he draws a gun. On David Warner, I'm not sure why, uh, David Warner and his father are standing side by side, and he points a gun at David Warner, and then at the last second, he turns to pretend that he's going to shoot his dad, but he shoots past his dad, and then he laughs because his dad was scared. He finally showed some hesitation and got worried by the by the bullet going past him, because now that he's seen what his son is capable of, he's like, oh, you're not screwing around anymore. Uh, so they get back on their tiny ships and row away from the schooner. And we see this explosion rise from just behind the scooter, yeah. <laughs> which is fine. Uh, I would have been sad if they blew up this actual yeah, real it, ship. It, it, was, it was believable enough yeah. that I was like, all right, I'll Suspension give it Suspension of disbelief. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, The pirates make some jungle juice with basically just rum and their own blood. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, then they sort through some of their loot. And uh, the girl tosses aside a flare gun as useless. And Maynard makes note of this. 
and old pirate can't figure out what the fuck Simon says is. Um, he's just like banging on it, and it's beeping at him, and he's very confused. Yeah, and and Doctor Windsor is here enjoying the spoils. Yeah, and in explaining some things to 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 Maynard about the culture, like he's like they didn't kill me because I proved I could be useful to them. Right. He's like and just like they haven't killed you yet. Yeah, because you know, because he's trying to prove that they're not just savage. Yeah. That they, that they kill with a purpose, I guess, is what his point is. Yeah. Um, and he's also here. He's returning uh, Maynard's glasses, which he says he found on the boat. And I wonder if that isn't supposed to be an implication of, like, take a closer look at these people. Mm. The fact that he's giving him the glasses back. But um, he also, as he's sitting down, he notices the flare gun. And he's like, oh, I see what's happening here. Okay, I'm going to take this with me. Um, and uh, Maynard hands his leash to his woman. He's just like bundles up the chain and he's like, here you go. Take me away. And she goes to the pirate leader and demands a wedding. Uh, Maynard does not answer when he's asked if he will marry right. her. He's like, do you matter. take this woman? And he's like, doesn't say anything. And then she says yes. And they're married. Um, Warner puts his arm on two barbs shoulder and just publicly adopts him in front of Maynard. Um, it seems like at the same time he's, as he's adopting this kid he's disowning disowning manuel yeah because um, he's a portuguese zambo yeah that's what he calls him uh it's pretty pretty messed up uh all of this is pretty messed up but the, i guess the the final the final ceremony of this uh adoption requires the kid to drink a bunch of the blood wine and uh when, after he resists it david warner just splashes it angrily across his face never tell me no we see manuel run away and uh, he raises a flag, a, a, a sail on a boat. Oh, he raises a sail. Okay, and and he's he's interacting with the boat, and we you think that he's prepping it, like he's well, going to leave. Yeah, because he's sad about having been ditched as mm-hmm. a son. Uh, the woman leads Maynard back to her tent, and then uh, she leaves him alone for a second. And Manuel sneaks in and says, "Come on, we're going to get your kid, and we're going to get out of here because I want my dad back." basically i don't know if that's his plan necessarily yeah yeah, it is he wants to he wants to impress david warner because he's also been brainwashed or or maybe not because his his life on the other boat wasn't all that great either no yeah uh and he he didn't seem so shocked that pirates stormed aboard and killed three men in front of him either but uh, maynard does grab his son while everyone's drunk and unconscious his son is also drunk and unconscious the pirates find the woman outside the camp and they say hey where did your husband go and she's like, oh, he's he's back in the tent. And they're like, yeah, no, he's not. <laughs> and so they grab her for lying. And uh, just before Maynard can leave in this boat that Manuel prepped, uh, his son breaks away and runs back to his new father, shouting uh, shouting to him to let him know that, that Maynard's trying to escape. So he basically just lets Justin go. He's like, I'm done. I can't deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. One step at a time. So uh, Manuel stays with the camp. And he's basically counting on Maynard to come back and get the kids so that so that he can be son number one again. At sea, the boat starts leaking because holes in the boat were patched with molasses, which Maynard is able to determine by tasting the water that's pumping through the boat. Yeah. So, so Manuel was trying to kill him. Kill them both. Yeah. He wanted him and the son on there to get him out of the picture. Because yeah. he also tells him to go east, and the dad points out, he's like, I shouldn't go east. There's nothing to the east. And he's like, yeah. no, no, just trust me, go east. Yeah. The pirates come across Maynard's overturned boat and presume that he drowned, because where else could he possibly have gone? Dr. Windsor says, nope, he's he didn't drown, and you've got his kid, he'll come back. 
And then we notice that he's watching this whole discussion from the high ground, like plain view of everybody, which seems kind of dangerous. But now suddenly there's a Coast Guard ship and a rescue op seems to be inbound. Nope, they're just fishing up coke from the exploded schooner. And uh, Maynard comes across this powder shack on the island and uh, he busts open a powder keg with a battle axe, like a double-sided battle mm-hmm. axe. And uh, he draws a line of gunpowder to a safe distance from the from the shack. Uh, Dr. Windsor at this point is concerned about the Coast Guard stumbling on. So he, he, he says that he might go down there and do some recon, but also might try to steer them away. Yeah. But David Warner's kind of like, I don't know if you should do this. Uh, but he goes anyway, but he goes back through the village first. Yeah. But as he does, he also comes across this powder shack and he finds this line, this powdered line, which I thought he was just going to kick a gap in, mm-hmm. but he doesn't do that. And then when Maynard comes back, Maynard basically went and got like a bottle of wine to make a Molotov cocktail to light the fuse, I guess. I, I think he just needed something to burn. Some kind of a torch. Yeah. yeah and so he, he made the Molotov cocktail, but I think he was using it more like a... Just to bring the fire to the line. Yeah, something that wouldn't just burn and go out yeah he gets back to where he drew this line and he notices his wife Mm -hmm. is standing in the entrance to this powder shack and we're starting to think like oh my god is he just gonna light this thing and the fuse is gonna go through her legs and just blow her up and she raises a a gun on him she has a crossbow oh a crossbow and and she pulls this crossbow up and fires it directly over his shoulder and she kills the approaching dr windsor who he didn't even know was coming and, uh, and then she runs away so that he can blow the shack because she doesn't care. She just mm-hmm. wants to help him escape at this point. And I think she determined at this point that she's pregnant already. Yeah. Yeah. So D- Dr. Brazil informed She's her. like, I got what I wanted from you. Like, you can go now, basically. The drug enforcement people obviously see this huge explosion and start to approach the island. A team of men show up, but they make Ken stay in the boat while they investigate. And uh, they find this settlement with this girl that's been reported missing sitting alone by herself. Oh God, this is the greatest yeah. like shot. Uh, so these pirates just sneak up behind these men and just kill the shit out of everybody. They're s- slitting throats from behind and stabbing people in the heart. And they kill every single one of these guys, except for the guy that got left in the boat. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the girl's just smiling psychotically. Yeah. And one, the one pirate Rolo blows her a kiss. Yeah. And then I love this bit, too, because they, they start to dress in all these men's uniforms and they put on their life vests to cover all the insane blood stains around the <laughs> chest. And uh, they move back to the boat and they make Ken take them all the way out to the, the actual Coast Guard ship. Maynard tries to swim to the Coast Guard boat. Well, he doesn't try to. Yeah, he successfully He does. successfully swims out yes. there. As they pull up alongside the boat, like there's a, a bunch of the crew of the ship are standing on the side, like talking down to them and for some reason nobody notices that they don't recognize any of these people well they're they're, they're like kind of parked underneath like this weird cargo netting yeah but also you get the impression that these coast guard guys are just kind of like this is the boring most boring job in the world yeah everything is routine nothing new is gonna happen and but so they, they're just they like, only recognize well, one person on the ship and they're actually commenting on oh he looks so worried like why does he look terrified yeah. and there's and there's a tarp and they said did you find some bodies what's what's under the tarp and then some pirates pop up and start shooting at this whole line of coast guards. And uh, is that what they're called? Coast guards? <laughs> the people? Um, what do you call a member of the coast guard? A coast guard? I don't know. A, a, coast, a coast guardian? <laughs> coast guardian. A guardian. They're, they're firing at these coast guardians. And uh, the whole team of coast guardians gets murdered. 
right away. Oh, the whole crew. They yeah, they get up onto the ship and kill everyone on this boat. Like thirty some dudes. Yeah, the, all face down on this deck. Like the the one guy sounds an alarm, and the people in the lunchroom are like, uh, like a what is this a drill sounding yeah. an alarm right and now? And then Flamehead is running through the <laughs> running through the ship and just stabbing people. Yeah, and they're setting off like makeshift explosives out of some kind of like. Pro, looks like propane tanks maybe they're garroting people too again oh yeah and that's the the the, the line of blood that are it uh it's just there's so much meat yeah there's so much stuff with meat that i don't i appreciate but it's horrifying the pirate teams rush out to the front of the coast guard ship and take down the american flag to send up the jolly roger mm-hmm. um, with a with like a black widow uh hourglass beneath the symbol yeah and uh, they announce over the side to some of their, their waiting pirates for the ride back that they lost three of their men on this mission. Maynard makes it to the ship, and he climbs up some cargo netting to get up the side of the ship. The pirates are having a funeral for their lost colleagues. Then they start to move to collect and fight over all the crap that's littering the deck. Because... Yeah, they're, they're, they're on the, like the helicopter landing pad. Yeah. And while Maynard is kind of surveying the scene, uh, we see David Warner basically takes justin aside and then maynard finds a large gun mounted to the deck of the ship (laughs) and he gets it started and just mows down every pirate in the whole movie just chews through them with these massive caliber rounds i don't know how at this point he doesn't know that his son isn't among all these people that he's mowing down because you can't really tell. He's just yeah. indiscriminately going back and forth yeah. along all the pirates. He might have thought his son was a lost cause at this point. I honestly think when, after he does this, all these pirates on his deck are dead, and then David Warner comes out with Justin, and I think he's like, "Oh my god, this is great! I didn't kill you. <laughs> You're alive." Like, I think he's relieved here. I think he was just like. I got to put an end to this or I'm going to be dead. And, and then and he was like, just pleasant surprise that his son is still alive. Well, and then, and then, and Manuel had taken cover. He's like, oh, of course, because you can't kill children right, in yeah. this movie. Uh, thank goodness. So he's behind a bunch of boxes of fruit or something. And that's enough to stop the, like, oh man, the pirates should just put boxes of fruit on all their ships if they don't want the Coast Guard to take them out because it's apparently everything proof. So David Warner gives the gun to Justin and says, Shoot him, my son, and you'll know true freedom. And this is where we get the moment of truth. And Justin levels the gun at his dad and he says, I can't do it. And then Manuel jumps out and says, I can do it. And he takes the gun and tries to shoot Maynard, but he can't get the gun away from Justin. And eventually Justin shoots Manuel in the face. (laughs) So now this kid has shot two people in the face. Well, and this is the exact scenario that Michael Caine had warned him about in the car when he first got the gun. Right. Now you have to go to Manuel's parents and say, I'm sorry I shot Manuel in the face. I think Manuel's parents are probably long gone. That's probably true. Uh, I assumed they were on the boat as well. I don't know. It seemed like he was kind of like just their, their boat boy. Like he was just in charge of like upkeep. He was basically an employee of the- You said boat, right? Yeah, boat boy. Yeah, boat boy. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the Epstein Islands are <laughs> on the horizon. <laughs> boat boy. <laughs> so now uh, Warner tries to coax two barb away at gunpoint. He's he's like, come with me, and and he 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 won't just follow his instructions anymore. Now he has to point a gun at the kid to get him to go anywhere. And so everyone moves below deck. David Warner ties up Justin in the engine room, 
and uh, Maynard is trying to sneak up on them <laughs> but Warner's giving himself away he's breaking all these lights to like he wants to make it dark in here so that Maynard can't see what's going on but he's making a lot of sound so that Maynard can keep track of where he is and he's also making it darker for himself so he can't see what he's doing so he just gets paranoid and fires every remaining bullet into this dark hallway Mm -hmm. that he assumes Maynard is in but then Maynard climbs down into the engine room and then he drops down on top of him with this huge hunting knife the two of them struggle for a while Maynard tosses him aside and grabs a flare gun and Warner continues to swing this axe at him and keeps missing until Maynard puts a flare right into his chest and he falls to his death over the side of like like some kind of engine compartment yeah he just drops down into this compartment and uh so he's just his corpse is down there smoldering because it's got a flare in it and the axe falls down right after him i was like ooh, man that the- could have been bad <laughs> um you don't want to die and die well but i mean i, I was thinking more for like the stuntman because the the axe looks real yeah <laughs> um so maynard hugs his tied up son and uh the two of them climb up out of the ship together and there's this like weird like comedy bit at the end (laughs) as as the helicopter is approaching the deck and he's reporting back like all these corpses on the deck and he's like the bodies i don't know how to describe them i guess civilian they look like pirates and he's like did i hear you correctly pilots or pirates (laughs) pirates pirates over did i read you correctly did you say pilots or pirates over i might said pirates Pirates. I'm not kidding. They appear to be pirates. They're dressed as pirates, over. Uh, 1377, Cobb State, Portsmouth. Pirates. You mean like the old day pirates, over? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just a straight-up comedy moment. But, but but we never get a resolution for Maynard and Justin. Right. We we don't get any kind of, like, saying, no talk over the radio that, oh, there's there's someone on board, there's a man and a young boy. Um, I assume they go back to the island oh i wouldn't assume that because well because when michael Caine first swims away from the island before he swims away he sees beth standing up on the cliffside watching him yeah and i kind of feel like not that they're going to go back to the island to stay but they might go back to the island for beth because she's the only one left alive otherwise you're just leaving her to die there that's fine <laughs> I figure when the Coast Guard comes in and cleans up this whole mess, they're going to check they're the island, too, and she'll be fine. I think they just got rescued. Yeah, I, I think they probably just Well, that's the thing the is, we have to think. We have to think that this happened, because we're not... I, for one, am not uncomfortable thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I accept this responsibility. Anyway, uh, this movie is insane and awesome, and I love it. I, I have been talking about this movie all week. i was telling jess we should do like uh sit down with like all of our friends and watch like all of our favorite like hidden gems from the year at the end of the year yeah and this would 100 percent be in there with ninth configuration and like just insane movies that i've for some reason never heard about from anyone but what's even more insane is that michael Caine dislikes this movie and it was nominated for razzie so clearly yeah nobody liked this movie movie. it didn't do well it didn't pay for itself it's so great but it's also that's another thing that I really like about it is that it's like one of those going out on a limb movies. Like there's there there's a lot of uh, it feels very Terry Gilliam to me in places like Fisher King specifically, or like and he does a lot of stuff with pirates too, and that are just all a cast of weird characters. Mm-hmm. But um, and he's worked with David Warner. <laughs> it's it's just it feels like a movie where 
where the audience was a very small group of people that I find myself in. Mm -hmm. And for an unexpected reason, it got a huge budget and very good production value. Like the cast was all great people and everybody's doing their damnedest to make this an interesting film. The, the whole the whole language of the pirates yeah it's I, fascinating I, I had to turn the subtitles on but <laughs> I, I i found that i was like oh boy this is really interesting they don't waste a second i mean the, uh, the kung fu scene is like yeah. all right. <laughs> i loved it um i thought that was a nice way to break up like and and really i think what they were trying to do is make this less of a dark scene because the music by itself wasn't gonna lift it, <laughs> but that's what I love. Like it's like a it's like a daring pirate adventure, like the Seahawk or something yeah. like that. It's just like like cheerful pirate music. I was like, oh god, but they're killing these people. Yeah, no, it was really great. Um, I, the only other thing was I feel like the last fight with David Warner is a little lacking, but that machine gun scene. Oh my god, yeah. I, I was like, that's all I needed. This last fight can happen, but I don't care anymore because he's he's won as far as that, I'm concerned. That and when they storm the ship and kill the entire crew of this co- entire Coast Guard ship, mm-hmm. I was like, because as we were approaching that, I was like, something needs to happen here more than just these pirates getting gunned down by the Coast Guard. And they won the fight. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. This went so much further than I expected. And then he found that gun. Like, when he first peeks under the blanket and he sees this massive gun. And I was like, okay, well, that solidifies it. Like, yeah. I'm done. I like this movie. It's well, done. Well, because of all of his escape attempts. Yeah. And then the Coast Guard shows up. I thought, okay, this is it. This is the end of the movie. The Coast Guard's going to yeah. come in. Yeah. They're going to start opening fire. But <laughs> it just goes to the complete. It was like, I feel so bad for Michael Caine at this point. It's like, Nothing is going your way, man. Yeah. yeah, it was super unexpected for me. I think I even mentioned that as they're approaching the Coast Guard ship, I'm like, well, there's no way that they could overtake these Yeah, guys. this is this is such it's a dumb plan possible. from them. And they just don't know what Coast Guard means, so they have no idea what they're right. running into. Right, but They just do it. No problem. Yeah, it was amazing. Our director here was Michael Ritchie, which is a really unexpected pick for this. Mm-hmm. Going through his credits... I mean, you have like the Bad News Bears in 76 before this. And also in 1980, he had two credits for directing The the Island and a movie we won't be covering called Divine Madness, which is actually a documentary. It's a it's a Bette Midler concert film. But um, I don't know if you've noticed this, listeners, but we are skipping concert films because they don't really fit the way we do the show. But later in the 80s, all of his stuff is like just straight comedy. Like Fletch, obviously, is one of my favorite films of all time. Mm-hmm. Wildcats, The Golden Child, is another Fletch that's not as great. Um, <laughs> but it's just uh, it's just such a weird, it's definitely an outlier in his career. Well, and, and the fact that Peter Benchley had director pick. Right. Like he had to approve the director. And he says, the guy who directed Bad News Bears? Yes. Get him in here. <laughs> Sign Get him, him up. In here. Well, honestly, I feel like it needed to be someone with a sense of humor and and knew how to handle a different kind of comedy because i do feel like this movie is trying to be a comedy in a lot of places but yeah peter benchley obviously we talked about before this was the the third filmed adaptation of a benchley story after jaws and the deep um obviously not counting the first three jaws sequels uh one of which had already released the music here was ennio morricone Mm-hmm. which uh, according to imdb he has like 13 score credits in 1980 but a bunch of them are like actually in italy and so this was one of two american films because um, we had windows the second of two american films yeah, yeah we had windows actually there might be another one later in the year obviously michael kane here is blair maynard he's alfred in the 
Nolan Batmans. He's Austin Powers' dad. He was in Jaws 4, The Revenge, which I'm pretty sure there's a quote from Michael Caine where they say, oh, did you ever see Jaws 4? And he says, no, I didn't, but I've seen the house it paid for, and it's beautiful, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, which that's obviously a sequel to another Benchley adaptation. He'll be back later this year in Dress to Kill. And he was also another one of his paycheck films. So it was Irwin Allen's The Swarm, which we have yet to check out. Um, but you know, he's acting for decades. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the, the original Italian job, uh, Alfie. I mean, he, he's had a very, very long career. He teaches acting. He's just a really amazing force Yeah, in Hollywood. Um, and I think he was he was a really good choice for this character. David Warner was John David Now. He's Spicer Lovejoy in Titanic. He's Ed Dillinger in Tron. He's Dr. Wren in In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, Winston Smiles on Briscoe County Jr. Yeah. Uh, he's a Klingon somewhere in space, I think. Yep. Uh, uh, Star Trek Six. Yeah. And uh, he's also the voice of Archmage on Gargoyles and Ra's al Ghul on Batman the Animated Series. Time Bandits, He's where he yeah. plays the ultimate evil. There you go. Uh, he's so great. He is he is amazing. There yeah. was, I, I can't remember who did the interview. I want to say maybe it was the AV Club. Um, did an interview with him. Did they uh, talk about pretty, Island? Um, I don't remember that being a topic in the interview. Oh, okay, but yeah, they run down like so many of his big famous roles. He's great. Uh, yeah. He he didn't come back for Legacy, did he? No, but his son did. Um, oh, really? The uh Cillian Murphy plays John Dillinger Jr. Oh, interesting. Um and cuz I imagine they wanted to make more Tron movies and so they were going to like set up Cillian Murphy to be cuz why else would you cast him to be yeah it, in this movie which I really like Tron Legacy and I think that that it was a really good follow up. Yeah. Um I had some issues with it but overall it was very good. I know at least at one point they were planning on doing more than one sequel but I don't know if that'll ever happen. Frank Middlemass was Windsor this is the guy that I thought sounded like uh, Alan Rickman. Uh, he is Sir Charles Linden from Barry Linden. And that was his his biggest credit of of uh, everything else I saw. You give me a look. Which one's the pirate that uh, has the cornrows? That's uh, Brazil, Dr. Brazil. Dr. Brazil. Yeah. So I spent a while thinking about why Dr. Brazil looks so familiar to me. And it's not because he's in anything else that I recognize him from, but I think he looks like uh, one of the Muppet pirates. He looks like the Muppet Angel Marie from Muppet Treasure Island. So I'm just going to show you guys this picture. (laughs) That looks about right. Muppet Treasure Island was also written by one of the co-writers of Hook. So... They're all the same movie is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Don Henderson was Rolo. Uh, he plays General Taggy or Toggy in Star Wars Episode Four. Yeah. Um, he's the one who's threatening, not threatening, but he's the one at the board meeting uh, saying that, that the rebel plans have been taking, taken and we need to take steps because we're vulnerable. And then the one who gets choked by Vader says, you know, vulnerable to your Starfleet maybe, but not to this battle station. Okay. Uh, so he's clearly the... the commander of the the navy i guess i would call it as far as the imperial space navy fleet yeah um he's also a commander in baron munchausen yeah yeah that that the only part that i can figure he plays because of of that voice is the battle on the beach or no um when uh the baron and sally are on the wall 
And he goes, gentlemen, don't you think it would be a good idea to silence those enemy cannon? He goes, no, sir. He's like, <laughs> it's Wednesday. <laughs> and then he rides the cannonballs back and forth. Zakes Moquet was Westcott. That's the uh, the customs agent that comes riding up on a bike. He plays Dr. Benjamin Awabi in Outbreak. And he's also Priam in Waterworld. That's one, I believe that's one of the elders Yeah. Uh, in the town with... Uh, Oh God, we just had him in um, hiding in play sight. The the mob boss, the mob yeah. don. Anyway, yeah, he was in there too. <laughs> yeah, um, Brad Sullivan was Stark. That's our uh, awesome pilot with the big scar on his face. Um, he plays Sergeant Vincente in the Dream Team. Uh, he plays an executive in the movie The Abyss, and he's also Wanchuck in Slapshot. We have James J. Casino as Doctor Number Three, one of our three ill-fated doctors from the start. And he plays Sammy in Baltimore Bullet. And uh, this was his second to last movie before Brainstorm in 83, which uh, we mentioned was the film that Natalie Wood hadn't finished filming when she passed away. Reg Evans was Jack the Bat. He played the station manager in Mad Max earlier this year. Or Station Master, sorry. Um, I think that's the guy. Who's fixing like their car or something? The guy when when, uh, they're like threatening him when they're waiting for the delivery of their friend's corpse in a tiny coffin. oh yeah that makes more sense um william g Schilling was baxter uh he plays a golfer in space jam that's the guy who runs the gun shop um i didn't find any other credits that i recognized from him but but, but jesse were saying i know this guy from somewhere oh i totally didn't yeah um uh, i do want to say something though uh unrelated to the cast but one of the cast is credited as coast guardsman guardsman okay coast guardsman is go. apparently the term i'm not yeah. gonna fix that but <laughs> just guardsman, if you were curious coast guardsman is the term but i do want to point out that you can call them coasties actually i don't know if you're allowed to it's i don't know if it's derogatory or just slang but people use that word uh the only other person i want to mention and i don't know if it's true or not because it says woman at gun range uncredited oh yeah and this woman named christine page did you look her up i did uh, she was like smuggled out of Cuba by her parents and forced and lived in exile. Like her, her parents didn't come with her. Yeah. Um, and then she grew up and became a comedian, uh, like a Latino comedian did like a lot of like, um, script doctoring and writing doctoring uncredited, uncredited for, to get like Latino voices and things like that. Yeah. I saw most of the other titles that she appears in were stuff that was like shot in and around Miami. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was like... I'd never heard of her, um, and I, it's an uncredited role, so I don't know for sure. Maybe I have no way of verifying this information. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was an interesting life that she had. Yeah, absolutely. We also have Stuart Steinberg as Hiller, um, and he plays an old janitor in six episodes of 30 Rock. And uh, we have uh, Bob Westmoreland, who was the charter boat captain, and he also did makeup on this and on Close Encounters and the 78 Body Snatchers and the Twilight Zone movie. And then uh, the last credit I wanted to mention was Rod Ball, who is CPO Zimmerman, one of the Coasties or Coast Guardsmen or Coast Guardians. Um, you know, pick your poison. Uh, he plays Steve in both of the Porky's movies. Uh, but yeah, that's everything for the cast here. Did you guys have any other notes you wanted to bring up? Or I, I love this movie. This is a big thumbs up for me. Um, absolutely 100% Jess yeah I would recommend this to everybody Richard I, I wholeheartedly recommend this movie it was I, I 
I could not believe what I was watching. And like I said, I was super excited to tell everyone at work, I watched this crazy movie over the weekend. I got to tell you all about it. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was just such a ray of sunshine. <laughs> it's, it's really wonderful. Um, where's this going on your list, Richard? Uh, this is going in the big number four. Um, this is going just below ninth configuration and just above where the Buffalo roam. All right. Jess, where's this going for you? All right, I'm putting this pretty high, not quite as high as Richard. I'm putting this in one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh place, seventh place, uh, just above Night of the Juggler and below Forbidden Zone. For me, this is going in fourth also, which uh, puts it behind The Shining, Forbidden Zone, and Empire Strikes Back, then this, and then The Changeling is right underneath it. Um but this is this was a fascinating ride for me. I'm excited to watch it again. I'm excited to show it to people. This was an incredible movie, and uh, the reputation that it has is 100% undeserved. I think uh, it's insane that anyone could watch this movie and come away disappointed, because it's just fascinating and exhilarating the whole way through. Um, I think that's everything we have for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show, and if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Roadie, which IMDb describes like so. A young Texas good old boy has a knack with electronic equipment, and that talent gets him a job as a roadie with a raucous traveling rock and roll show. Which sounds like it could be a sequel to Fame, that guy that has all the electronic equipment. Uh, But it's not. It's Roadie. We leave you now with a trailer for Roadie. Roadie, starring Meatloaf as Travis W. Redfish. I'm some guy named Rody. Redfish can fix it. Get me two beers and a hubcap. Redfish can fix anything. I need a Ford. Why, he's the best roadie in the whole world. The bands make it rock, but the roadies make it roll. Rody, starring Meatloaf, Art Carney. Hi, everybody. Khaki Hunter. I'm a groupie on my way to New York City to become the greatest groupie that ever lived. Ah! Rody, you got the right idea. I love outlaws. Blondie. Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. Uh, she's one of Charlie's Angels. Get him. Brody, the ultimate rock and roll fantasy. He's a champion, the Ali of Brody's. In a rock and roll car or a rock and roll bar, he's the closest thing there is to a rock and roll star. Strange and wondrous tale, baby. Strange and wondrous. Brody. The bands make it rock, but the roadies make it roll. Thank you very much, and good night.